Sir, we've had a little problem. These two women are just arriving. They objected to giving up their weapons. Klingons do not surrender their weapons. Who are you? We are Lursa and Baton of the House of Duras. Hello and welcome to the Duras Sisters podcast. We are not Klingons, but we are sisters. And I'm Ashlyn. And I'm Rihanna. And today we are thrilled to have a special guest with us today. Everybody, please welcome John. Hello, it's great to be here. So we are very excited today to be talking about death fakeouts in Deep Space Nine. This is the third episode of our death fakeout series. And we were all just talking uh, pre-recording about how I'm now starting to see death fakeouts in other TV shows too. And I can't help but analyze them, which is always how I kind of get when we get deep into a series like this is I I see them everywhere. Yeah, it's like coming back from a trip and then you start seeing airplanes everywhere. You're like, oh my god, like it's now all around me. Yeah, I feel that. (laughs) So the two episodes we're going to talk today about with John is Visionary and then The Visitor. So you have the V, Death Fake Outs. (laughs) (laughs) I realized that as as I was making notes. Like, oh, interesting. We we picked some very, for being not alike at all, they're kind of similar episodes in a lot of ways. They actually are. Absolutely, Yeah. yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Star Trek. I want the listeners to um, like know a little bit more about you. So how did you first get into Star Trek? Uh, when I was a kid, I was right about the time uh, TNG started coming out. I was in elementary school and then junior high as that came out. And I would watch it every week. And then I would watch it on syndication pretty much whenever it was on almost, almost every episode. I think <clears throat> as part of... Uh, Green Shirt, A Newbie's Trek Through the Next Generation, which I'm a producer on, um, I'm pretty sure there's one episode coming up in season six that I've never seen. Uh, I've heard about it, but I, I'm like, man, I don't have any memory of this. <laughs> so I am pretty purely TNG starting. I've seen some of the original, I've seen the original series movies. I've seen very little of the original series. And um, deep, I, I love TNG. i Loved Deep Space Nine even more. Still my favorite series. Kind of got some Voyager, caught up on Enterprise after it was all done airing and really enjoyed that. And then this new, newer era of Trek, I'm very much enjoying. Heck yeah. Love that. <laughs> That's amazing. It's so interesting to hear where people start out with their Star Trek journey because I think it, it says so much about like the type of fan you become. And we're just so happy that we have a lover of Deep Space Nine here because obviously this is our Deep Space Nine episode. So yes, this is very yeah. exciting. And, and DS9 <laughs> is a strangely controversial series for Star Trek and has yes. been since it started airing. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. so true yeah i'm with you that depending on the day i'll say like tng is my favorite and then a different day i say ds9 and it's normally <laughs> based off of what episode i've seen mo- re- most recently so. yeah, yeah. Sure. i love that yeah, yeah. <laughs> so from everything that you've seen who's your favorite character in star trek um i more and more as i've gotten older and worked in with hands-on with a lot of engineering type stuff it's become chief o'brien um i I feel i feel more and more for his frustration at trying to keep that station running on ds9 and it's definitely ds9 o'brien that i Mm -hmm. that i most relate to and like yeah man yep i get it (laughs) (laughs) frustration so 
I, I and, love that. and the way they treat use him as the everyman and the audience surrogate and just are relentless about it in DS9 is oh like, absolutely yeah okay he's he's hands down the most human absolutely i love that we haven't had that answer yet and i'm so low i love to hear an o'brien stand that's great totally. <laughs> <laughs> so you talked a little bit about green shirt can you tell me more about your podcasts uh and like everything that you've been doing uh recently absolutely so i am part of two podcasts right now i am producer john on green shirt a newbie's trek through the next generation started by cameron he never watched it growing up like unlike the rest of almost everybody we know. And so he's watching it for the first time and, and a group of us is watching along with him and doing podcast discussions of each episode. Um, and then currently I am the host of Open Pike Night, which is a watch along weekly discussion show about strange new worlds as each new episode comes out and which will continue on. We'll, we'll be putting out episodes between seasons also, not on not on the weekly schedule, but we're we're doing a lot of planning for what comes between each Strange New World season. And it's just a really fun way to we we get calls. You you two have called into Open Pike Night and we mm -hmm. let those calls sort of direct our discussion of the episodes as we go through and it's just a really nice way to hear a lot of Trek voices out there. Yeah, John, Amazing. I really love the format that you've created on Open Pike Night. I think it, it really Thank does you. feel like I'm in like a like a theater club or some sort of like stage, you know, and I, I, I get that sort of like feeling that we're like together in the crowd. And that's really unique for a podcast. So I really appreciate what you all are doing there. It's so cool. If you guys haven't heard Open Pike Night, please go check it out. It's super awesome. It's definitely Thank you. And actually, I have an Open Pike Night gift for the two of you. Just a moment. Ooh. Oh, wow. <laughs> Welcome everyone to the Dura Sisters Podcast. They are not Klingons, but they are sisters. And she's Ashlyn. And she's Rihanna. Wow. Well, yes, that was the most epic thing I've ever heard. That was so wow, John, thank cool. you. Thank you. Well. I felt like we were right there. We're here in the studio. Yeah. Like, all right. I've never been like introduced by another person before. That was very cool. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Amazing. We loved sending in a recording. Every time you send out a call on Twitter, we're like, okay, we got to do it. And we forget. So yeah. we got to get another voice recording mm -hmm. in there. Yeah. Have you seen this this week's episode? Yet? Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Have you cried this way through oh, this yeah. episode? Yeah. <laughs> well, Oof. I also want to say, like, I had I hadn't heard of Green Shirt podcast before until uh, we did Picard Week with a Strange New Pod, yeah, yeah, and that was fun. Massive podcast so fun. collaboration, so much fun, and your segment was amazing. It was like my favorite one. Was, like, <laughs> like it was so funny, crying with laughter. Yeah, it was <laughs> yeah. so much fun. So like, what a great like, wow, you're just doing so many great things. So I'm so Thank happy. You very much. Yeah, Thank to have you in the Trek community because got some good stuff going on. Yeah. It's yeah. great to be here. Great to be part of it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also nice having another podcaster on again. We um, kind of go back and forth. We have friends and family on the show, but we also do get 
Star Trek podcasters on here and it's happy to have, you know, like different perspectives and types of people on the show. So good deal. That's exciting. great. And, and I, I do want to compliment you both on, uh, on the, the feminism series. Uh, you went through a ton of episodes of way more characters than I expected you to, um, you know, as a man, I have some notes. No, no, it was an excellent <laughs> series. And I, it was it actually, I hadn't even thought about including some of the characters you chose. And I really enjoyed your discussions of those. So, oh, thank yeah. you. Yeah, I really awesome. appreciate it. Thank yeah. You. Oh my gosh. The, the amount so of fun. time you yeah. put in on each episode is pretty incredible. <laughs> like, oh, you thank watched you. 10 episodes for this one podcast episode. <laughs> that is yeah. dedication. It is a labor of love, and that's why sometimes when we have episode delays, it's because we have like four more episodes. episodes we haven't yeah, yeah, exactly. yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. we at the Dural Sisters podcast always want to be a little too much, so that's that's our. <laughs> oh my gosh, we don't know how to stop ourselves. Is the problem? Yeah. So. <laughs> Excellent. Um, okay, so who is in the background, Rihanna? I need. I need oh, this is my cat, cat Archie. Yeah. Ah, he's hello, Archie. Usually the one screaming on the pod. If you hear okay. him, it's usually yep. Archie. Okay. <laughs> he's our loudest boy for sure. He just became a little Twitter famous because Rihanna posted him listening to the Deep Space Nine intro, and uh, he got a lot of likes on Twitter. Yeah. So. Oh, good. He was sitting yeah. on the stack of boxes, just appreciating Deep Space Nine like we all do. <laughs> so. <laughs> Excellent. When Rihanna and I started the Death Fakeout series, we were talking about death fakeouts and other shows. And so, John, I'm wondering for you, do you have a favorite non-Trek death fakeout? I very much enjoyed the way Sherlock had fun with their death fakeout. Yeah. Um, yes. I know that. I was I was like, oh, it's probably going to be on a lot of people's list. But it's, it's done so well. And yeah. the revelation, like the way they... they he tr- keeps trying to reveal it, and then Watson's reaction is just like, "Okay, this is perfect. This is just fun for for you know, having ripped our guts out with the previous season." And I oh don't know, God, I, I, yeah. I wasn't watching it as it aired, obviously with with the uh, BBC and everything, but it's like, okay, he's not dead. Obviously, there's another season coming out, but how are they going to yeah. do it? And and I love the way they never answered that question. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. That's such a great answer. I I think that Sherlock is like, you know, it's the show that we all think about when we think of like long hiatuses as well. Like I did spend those two years waiting to hear how he faked his death. And like, I think I love that there's that suspense that builds up because it really makes the audience stir crazy, but also like excited to watch more. So that's a great answer. Well, I think that answer is unique too, because we know about Sherlock because these books were published like a hundred years ago. You <laughs> oh, yeah, know? Yeah. yeah. Like it's very famous that like they Conan Doyle killed him and then brought him back after fan demand. And so I think it's so cool how well the TV show does it. Like everyone knows he's coming back, but yeah, yeah I amazing. Phenomenal. Love it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So let's turn back to Star Trek and Rihanna. I am wondering from anyone in Deep Space Nine, if their death was permanent, which one would be most impactful on the crew? And I, again, this is very sad. <laughs> this is like such a rude question every I know. week because, like, unfortunately, all of my favorite Trek characters have died, like, so far, <laughs> um, at least at one point. And luckily with Spock, like, he was fine and he's fine for quite a while uh, in the timeline. But, like, with Data and now with Judzia Dax, like, mm. it's just really devastating that, that 
so that of course is my answer but like she actually did die so um i think i would honestly go with major kira i think that if kira were the character to die the whole show would fall apart like there's so much about kira in the story that like we rely on to understand bajor to understand the cardassians to understand the occupation to understand like recovery and grief and trauma like she does so much for the show as a character and for like plot reasons but also just like as a person and as the way she interacts with everyone i think everyone would be a mess if kira had died permanently and i'm like frankly glad she didn't have any death fake outs either because like even the thought of her dying for like a sh- an episode or something is really scary to me because she's yeah. like a strong base for everyone and yeah, that would be really devastating. What about you, Ashlyn? Which death fakeout would be terrible if it wasn't a fakeout? See, it's funny. I didn't even think of Kira because she has no death fakeout, so mm-hmm. she just passed me by. <laughs> um, great answer. I would say for me, Cisco would mm. be the most impactful, which we do kind of see in The Visitor, like every yeah. everything. But I think especially the repercussions about him being the emissary um, is really intense and would jeopardize that relationship with Starfleet and Bajor. And I know at the end of the whole series, he kind of disappears, but he's with the prophets, you know? So yeah. it's a little bit more yeah. like non-problematic yeah. or non like, I don't know. Not like, dead. He's not as dead. Much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, but he's just like the, he's such an important part of the war and effort as well. And so I just think about like, how would that have gone? Again, some of these questions are answered in The Visitor, but um, Cisco is just like holding it all together, in my opinion. So. That's yeah. great. Yeah. yeah. Good, good, good answer. John, what about you? Uh, I had actually picked Kira as well. And mm. I think it, I, I agree with what you said, Rihanna. And the way I thought about it was, I don't know the DS that, that the Federation running Deep Space Nine would have succeeded for as mm. long as it did if Kira hadn't been there, especially from the very beginning to have a Bajoran representing and, you know, stating the importance of the Federation being there on a Cardassian space station, mm-hmm. trying to get a planet reluctantly on both sides, I would think, to join the Federation and ultimately failing, mm-hmm. but failing for the right reasons. Um, I feel like had she not been there, it would have, you know, it would be very believable if like after two years, the Federation was just like, all right, we're, we're pulling out. We're going to just give the Bajorans the station. And then the, the Cardassians would have just shown right back up. Totally. So, I'm not even convinced that the emissary or the prophets would have ever connected if Kira hadn't been there. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah, John. I agree. That's so, that's such a good answer. <laughs> I think you're totally right. Yeah. Okay. Well, the moment we've all been waiting for, <laughs> let's dive into these episodes. So the first one we're going to talk about today is Visionary. And Rihanna, I'm wondering if you could give a little plot synopsis about this episode? Sure thing, yeah. So this is an O'Brien-centric episode. Um, We see him suffering, like the moment when this (laughs) this opens, which is not an uncommon view for us. Poor (laughs) O'Brien. He is literally the fodder, plot fodder for like all of this stuff, uh, injury-wise. And so we see him first uh, essentially like undergoing some radiation poisoning dr bashir is treating him but it turns out this panel he was working on like exploded and he's been 
essentially like he has a, some radiation and some other sciencey stuff going on with his body um and an effect of that is the fact that he gets to see five hours into his future at random intervals and at first you know this is an episode where we're trying to figure out with the character what's going on like why the hell is <laughs> o'brien seeing himself um and then halfway through the episode we see him die we and Brian watches himself die, checks his pulse, very terrifying for him. And essentially, this is like, yeah, it's sort of unraveling the mysteries of why we way, why we are seeing O'Brien in these different positions five hours later. And turns out it's this cloaked Romulan vessel that is letting off these admissions that every time it like circles the station close enough to O'Brien that's when he starts going into the future so crazy science stuff going on um and O'Brien actually kind of gets two death fakeouts in this episode (laughs) poor guy he gets multiple yeah yeah so I want to say right off the bat I think one of my favorite moments is in the beginning where O'Brien he has the first time where he jumps five hours and he sees himself talking to Quark and he's like, oh, Quark's talking about, um, like, you need to fix my hollow sweets because the Klingons broke them. And then the second time when O'Brien's actually talking to Quark, Quark looks over and sees O'Brien like five <laughs> hours in the past and Quark's like, uh, you don't need to worry about the hollow yeah. sweets. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, you got bigger problems. You have bigger it's, problems. It's a fantastic delivery. <laughs> It's not like, what's going on? It's like, oh, yeah. there's another you. All right, I'm going to go back to my bar. Exactly. Yeah. I just love that because I feel like Quark is not a part of like weird things in space a lot. No. And so to see him just be like, I am not dealing with this yeah. right yeah. now. So there's some rule of acquisition that's like, yeah, just ignore doppelgangers. Like, yep. yeah. not, your, not your problem, not your circus, not your monkeys. Yep. Exactly. exactly. And it was fun so because that, that first jump forward is is what normally it's like okay usually it's going to be a disaster there's something you you see in the future to prevent a disaster this is just like nope you saw in the future the first time to see that you had an argument with quark a totally yeah. normal thing for your day so that was it yeah was fun that's that so they included true that mm-hmm. i think that's a good point too john like i think they were building it up at really nicely in this episode because there was a couple fake out times where I thought obviously we're watching this episode for the death fake out so I'm waiting and I think I've only seen this episode like once like it I don't go back and watch it yeah. um because I don't really think about it but it's such a phenomenal episode because of its pacing and because of those little tricks that they give us like even in the bar fight I totally thought he's gonna get stabbed or like shot or something you know to have him die and so I think these situations that you think are gonna be super dangerous end up being fine and then a situation where he's just opening a panel he gets zapped and killed you know so it's these like it's really fun to see how they're messing with us a little bit i love to see how the o'briens start working together because they all understand what's going on so then like in the next jump forward o'brien like punches out uh like a guy who's attacking the future um o'brien and then the other one's like hey look out yeah watch your back yeah yeah, Mm -hmm. i just i love that and i really hope like if i ever found myself in that situation i would just like be able to quickly be like hey 
look out and not freak out because I understand <laughs> what is happening, you know? Totally, yeah. <laughs> Even if they both hate temporal mechanics, all the yeah. O'Briens hate temporal <laughs> mechanics, but they're still going to do it. I mean, I think about his time on the Enterprise, like, they had so many crazy time oh, yeah. loops and, like, yeah. crazy stuff going on that, like, he's like, I hate this, but I know how to deal with it. <laughs> right, right. Like, he had to have, I'm pretty sure he had to have been there for cause and effect. We didn't get to see him. But yeah. Like, yeah, he's been through a ton of stuff. He's been through Q visits. He's seen plenty yeah. of things. So... <laughs> Yeah. Totally. Absolutely. And and the way they because I mean this this episode raises so many questions of causality and you know you could talk about paradoxes all kinds of stuff. It's just like mm-hmm. no, this sucks and it's not the important part where we need to worry about. Let's worry <laughs> yeah. about why I died. So yeah, yeah. exactly, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I was curious too because um, as we're watching these different death fake out episodes and different series, we see the characters who aren't dying or being faked out death uh reacting to these their friends or their um their shipmates or Mm -hmm. station mates dying so i just thought it was curious to see how deep space nine reacts to the fact that o'brien's gonna die in five hours and literally all of them just get to work like i kind of like that they're no nonsense it really reminded me of tng like they're not going to do a lot of emoting and crying and worrying they're just like nope we're gonna make sure this doesn't happen you know and i think that it, it kind of reminds me of time's arrow when they're uh thinking hearing about data's head in the cave and they're just like well we'll make sure that he's not at this place at this time and obviously they can't because it's like predetermined but yeah. at least for here they like go by the panel and they're really careful and i just i love this about them because this is very like this is very much how the crew would act you know i think that they're very good at like pushing away those emotions until they can deal with them later but right now we need to solve this problem what did you guys think about these sort of reactions they had well first of all i like that o'brien at the time where he was supposed to get killed and zapped in the panel i like that he was drinking at quarks with bashir because he was like <laughs> yeah. i want to be far away yep. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> from this whole situation i really appreciated that i thought that bashir's reaction the second time because o'brien dies like he dies several like times. three yeah. times yeah. yeah so after he's zapped they like they skirt through that he they drink through that moment (laughs) and then he sees that he's like he jumps again and he's like already dead cold on this on the slab and Bashir has already finished his autopsy and he says that he has some like leftover radiation in his brain that Bashir had not scanned for in the priority globe or something yeah and so I thought that interaction was really interesting because O'Brien is pissed. He's so, he's yeah. like, why didn't you keep me alive? Like, you're supposed to be my best friend and like yeah. a good doctor. And Bashir's like, your body gave up. What was I supposed to do? Yeah. And I kind of, I, I think because this is a weird circumstance where Bashir assumes that O'Brien's like the fa- that he's going to jump. Um, I mean, he did say like, chief, glad you're here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. Mm-hmm. I think if he hadn't, if this had just been, you know, a one-off, I think he would be distraught because this is yeah. his best friend dying, mm-hmm. you know? And so it was interesting to see, and Bashir's not like that emotive of a person, but it was mm-hmm. it was still interesting to see that he was like very calm, like very like scientific about it. Um, and yeah, I agree with you, Rihanna. Everyone else was just like getting to work and like, let's yeah. avoid this. Yeah. And, and really the only person who sees the death fakeouts is O'Brien. Like yeah. he's he's the one who's getting the fake outs and then he has to tell the others in, yeah. in, in let's call in his present, like, yeah, I'm gonna die in five hours. They don't get to see him zapped by the panel. Mm-hmm. Bashir in the future sees him to actually die. Like that's a real death. But then after he can't save him, he's like, 
well, the chief's going to show up probably, hopefully, in the next hour or so, so I can warn him and just prevent this. And yeah. so, yeah, just just his not not at all, no shock whatsoever. He was expecting <laughs> O'Brien and hoping O'Brien would come so he could prevent mm-hmm. it. And and I really like the way the episode plays with that. It's like, oh yeah, the only person faked out is really O'Brien. Yeah, totally. That's and always poor guy. The case, yeah. I feel like. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I just feel terrible because like. That would be pretty traumatic, watching yourself die all these different times. And he said, yeah. he was like, it was weird feeling my pulse, feeling for a pulse that wasn't there on my own arm. And, like, when oh, literally Bashir, I think, was having trouble reading the room a little because he was like, you want to see the autopsy results? And O'Brien's like, no, no. I am good. <laughs> <laughs> Who would? I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I really also like the way that they intertwine the A's and B plots in this episode because mm-hmm. so often in Star Trek, they are just unrelated, you know, and everyone is on their own journey. But in this one, kind of the more serious side of this episode is that the Romulans are on board the station, the Klingons are too. And like Rian already said, the Romulans are like their plan is to blow up the wormhole. And they know that Deep Space Nine is not just going to stand by and let that happen. So they just want to blow up the whole station. This Mm -hmm. is like a really insane plot, you know? And if O'Brien had not had this happen, they all would have died. It would have been like the end of the show, you know? (laughs) Yeah. But also there wouldn't have been a Dominion War. I mean... (laughs) Would have saved a lot of lives in the future. Whoa. Yeah. (laughs) That's kind of a... Oh, man. This, it's like... Yeah, they weren't, well, maybe they were planning all that when, when they wrote this one, but it's like, there's some implications to O'Brien saving his own life. Absolutely. You're it's so kind right. of the yeah. needs of the many situation, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which he thought at the time he was saving the needs of the many, like, he was right, prioritizing right. the many, but <laughs> not no more, I guess. Yeah, that's so true. I really oh like how this episode ends because... I mean, I'm faked out because O'Brien goes back, like Bashir is able to rig up something to send him only three hours into the future instead of five. And so he wakes up sleepy O'Brien and explains to him the situation. But this whole time, like O'Brien is stressing, or not O'Brien, Bashir had stressed him before he left. The radiation is flooding your body. You can't be back there very long. And, you know, throughout the episode, whenever O'Brien jumps, it's only a couple seconds, you know, like maybe 20 seconds. Like it's not mm-hmm. very long. And so I am frustrated when Bash- when O'Brien jumps three hours and he's just taking his sweet time talking, yeah. to, <laughs> talking to O'Brien. You know, he's like, yeah. well, I have to explain this. And there, it's just like no sense of urgency. And I'm like, come on, let's go. You're dying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and that then that that leads part of one of my comparisons between the two is like, oh, well, he actually does die. Yeah. Like yeah. like we in both of both of these episodes that we we chose to talk about, the death happens mm-hmm. or a death happens and then wipes out part of a timeline. Yeah. To to make something not happen or something you know, and to avert a disaster. And so it's like the the O'Brien we see at the beginning of the episode is dead by the end of the episode. And that so I really like that implication of just like, yeah, it's just a few hours of, of the disorientation, but it still happened. Yeah, which is so bizarre because they talk about this at the end of the episode, how like this O'Brien has different memories than the previous one. And it really does remind me of that Voyager episode where uh, there's like a different Harry Kim because he takes Naomi Wildman and he's like an alternate universe Harry Kim. And the other one is like never is like dead, you know? And so it's just so interesting because it, it's still of course O'Brien, 
but it's not, you know, in, in, in these small ways. And that's just got to mess with you a little, for sure. Yeah. And, okay, Keiko and Molly are they're not in this episode at all. They're off the station at this point, if I remember right. Yeah. yeah there was, so. like, a year. On his bachelor year, yeah. as O'Brien yeah. or Bashir calls I it. I think yeah. she's on Bajor, right? Like, yeah, I think, mm-hmm. yeah, teaching, I think she's teaching on Bajor. I was like, well, the, the Dominion War isn't going, so she hasn't been sent away or anything. Yeah. But I'm just wondering, like, did he ever tell her? Hi, <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, I'm a different me. not mention how I died while Keiko was gone? <laughs> well, he did say, that's in this one, right, where he says, I wrote a letter for Keiko, and it's in my quarters yeah yep yeah right. so he's That's prepared true. i i'm yeah it's crazy like i wonder if he kind of knew that that was going to happen and maybe he had planned to have mm-hmm. the other one go back i don't know maybe i mean because yep. you said he was taking a sweet time so maybe he was like i gotta really explain all of this to my other counterpart but also his counterpart had been going through this too for however long i guess and i, I don't and know i think that's where the temporal mechanics thing because it's like <laughs> yeah but wasn't he getting all this radiation it's like well no because no. Yeah. he's been changing it in the past and so yeah <laughs> that's where those questions start to peak up and they're just like don't don't pay attention to don't that. worry that about not that. the important part of this episode <laughs> yeah totally yeah. oh my gosh yeah oh, i love it it's I, a really brave sacrifice that no o'brien makes for himself <laughs> without hesitation too just yeah he's yeah he's yeah like, nope you go you're you're in better shape than i am so mm-hmm. yeah go take care of it i love uh, the end like last couple seconds where o'brien's like davo to quark yeah. and then he's like davo. <laughs> quark's like come back yeah because <laughs> quark the whole time he's like please tell me what the numbers are so i yeah. can win <laughs> <laughs> which is funny because it's like you know in every shot in quarks and every scene in quarks they're yelling dabo in the yeah. background yeah it's someone's like, gonna it's win a rare random <laughs> thing. yeah he could have not even known and been like dabo yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. It's like, yeah you were just guessing dude. yeah <laughs> which i'm hoping is that would the be actual better case yeah yeah like, oh, oh yes God. the time he worked on that one <laughs> absolutely yeah i'm just so happy this episode exists i think it's a great insight into o'brien as well and like, yes, we still get a little bit of poor torturing O'Brien, like, trope, um, but yeah. it's not as much because he's kind of gets to be the winner of the day, and I think that that's really awesome. Yeah, I was actually worried because when I looked at our watch list for this episode, the O'Brien solo episodes tend to either be, like, really funny or, like, really depressing and, like, yeah. soul-changing in DS9. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, and that was a, that was a writer's room thing. Like, they, yeah. they mm-hmm. the O'Brien must suffer episode, they're like, no, we need one of those every season. And holy crap, <laughs> they get, like, hard time is a oh brutal, my God. Is, is, I think, one of my favorite of those episodes. Like, that mm-hmm. the implications of that... Yeah, are yeah. horrifying like mm-hmm. you talk about post-trauma it's like well here's another lifetime's worth of post-trauma exactly yeah. seriously yeah. yeah and that time he's like falsely accused and put on like death row like it's just crazy yeah. he goes through yeah. so much but poor yeah. o'brien wow yeah <laughs> <laughs> well i think now we should say poor jake as we move yeah. on <laughs> to the visitor oh, <laughs> Ashlyn, would you like to give us a little summary? I'm, this is probably oh. one of the most famous Deep Space Nine episodes, so you don't need to give us, you know, a ton of background. But in case people haven't seen this episode in a while, which, like, you should go watch it today if you haven't seen it in a while, because it's so good. But, yeah, Ashlyn, give us a little background. Absolutely. So The Visitor is in season four. It's, like, very, I think it's the second episode. episode two. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we open seeing old elderly Jake Sisko. And he's living at a home in Louisiana, and this 
like this woman comes into his house who's a fan of his writing and she's like obsessed with all of his work and she wants to know why he stopped writing like why he didn't publish more stories and so this kind of starts a whole like flashback sequence where um he describes the moment that he lost cisco when they were on the defiant and they were close to the wormhole the wormhole had like a power like a surge mm-hmm. and um cisco and jake both got shocked with it but cisco was sent to like this realm like the white void um <laughs> and it seemed like he died and Jake saw this happen, is extremely traumatized from it. He doesn't think he's been affected by um, the anomaly at this point. But so then he goes on with his life. I mean, he actually doesn't really move on with his life. He's stuck in that moment. And people around him are, you know, so they have the they have the funeral. And we see um, some, you know, we, we just see Jake like trying to struggle through life. And he's not really able to um, soon people are leaving the station and things with the Klingons are getting more and more sketchy and um, Kira and Dax are really looking out for her or really trying to look out for him but he's just not doing great and so finally things get so crazy at DS9 that Jake is forced to leave so he then I think does like the most that he can which is he finds a woman he gets married um, he does publish two of his, he publishes a novel and then some sh- a sh- collection of short stories for when he which wins a prize. But throughout all of this time, we're having random like returns of Cisco where he just appears for a couple seconds. It happened on the station. It happens again when he is with his wife. I think it happened twice on the station. Mm-hmm. Um, and each time yeah. is devastating because... Um, especially the second time he's on the station because everyone believes him that, oh, yeah, I see Cisco's right here in front of me. Dax, O'Brien, Bashir, they're all trying to help him and keep him there in the present. Um, so it kind of opens that door that maybe there is a way to save him. And this is just, it's too much for Jake. So this is why he's mm-hmm. like struggling for so long. And so that time when Cisco appears and he's able to meet his wife, I think is the breaking point for him. And he um, then can't really like continue on that path of his life and so he goes back to school he gets some degrees um studying temporal mechanics and everything like trying to learn everything he can to save his dad but at that point like his wife leaves him everything is just like going downhill there's one last chance to save cisco and that's 50 years after the initial accident where the wormhole has another surge and Cisco uh, does appear and Jake is able to get him for a moment and they're both pulled into the void um, but eventually like it does not work and so at the very very end of his life Cisco has realized or Jake has realized that his dad will appear one more time when he's an old man and so he through all his research understands that he has to try to break the link between them because it turns out he was affected by this anomaly and he is like a tether pulling um cisco like into the time into time with him and so jake knows if he dies at the same time that cisco is there it will break the link and he will be returned to the present and so jake gives him the information like dodge the energy surge and then it'll and then everything will be reset so it's like one of the most tragic i'm sorry you said give a brief synopsis yeah, I no, just, that was beautiful yeah, yeah. <laughs> i just was, read the wiki article from my mind <laughs> um, but it's yeah it's one of the most sad episodes 
of any Star Trek, I remember seeing this for the first time and just being walloped by it because it's yeah. such an impactful episode. Particularly because we're starting like right after Way of the Warrior. Worf has just come on the station. We're having some Klingon like craziness going on, some tensions there. And then we take this break to just demolish us emotionally you know like the writers are so so good at this you know by building tension in another part of the story and then being like yes we'll still talk about the Klingons but like they just took this whole turn and I think it is like the perfect way to sort of bring us into season four because it's like really I mean what we're learning a lot about in these death fake outs is that like you can learn so much more about a character when they're going through the loss of a loved one and like we learn a ton about jake in this episode yeah and and it kind of sets the stage for you know they've been setting the stage with jake for a long time talking about oh starfleet's really not for me and then yes i'm i'm really actually interested in writing i think the muse has already happened by Mm -hmm. this by this point so it's fun to see like he does actually publish that novel it's like well yeah it's probably really good you, you had an alien yeah. helping you untap all of your talent and write it so good for you right yeah um and it was like there are a lot of a lot of themes addressed with this episode fathers and sons loss of a parent mm-hmm. um i mean you could even say like changing the direction of your life in what people would consider the mid or past the middle point of your life yeah um you know you're using creativity or, or letting letting events that happen to you dictate how your life goes and, you know, letting something else define that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tony Todd sells it. Oh and I think God, it was a totally. fantastic idea. It's like, well, bring bring back somebody we know, you know, a previous previous face we've seen on track, a performer we know can deliver. And and Tony Todd, I'm glad they didn't try and do old person makeup on Syrup. Oh, thank God, nothing, yeah. Nothing <laughs> against him, but it's like, yeah, Tony, mm-hmm. if you can, you know, if they said they're making a movie of my life, and they're like, well, Tony Todd's going to play it, like, well, weird choice, but I, I can't argue. <laughs> but I accept. Great, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, he really steals the show in this, and I, I do always feel like I'm looking at an older Jake, you know, and that's what makes it even more special is that, it doesn't feel like he's trying to be this completely different Jake because this Jake never really moved on. And this Jake is still sort of a kid inside who lost his dad and didn't really lose his dad at the same time. I think Ashlyn, when you were describing, you know, Cisco coming back and all of these different parts of Jake's life, it just makes me think how impossible it would be to move on and how like this, I think if given the choice or if it put in the same situation, a lot of us would probably do the same things that Jake did, like try to move on at first in that middle part of his life and then once he sees his dad again like with his wife there that's totally the turning point like i totally understand like i think i would also throw my whole life away to try to get my parent back and yeah i mean he didn't even really throw it away he just made it this different direction like he became this incredible temporal mechanic and like (laughs) you know learned all this incredible science and went to school again and i love the fact that he went to school he was like 50 60 something like that he was um, like he was 37 oh, when 37, he started yeah. and then he got like mm-hmm. his master's and then his phd yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i mean super cool but like sucks that it had to be for that reason you know and and the fact that like this had to happen at all for jake it really really empathize with jake because yeah who wouldn't want to do that and want to try to get their parent back like that 
Yeah. I thought it was a good point that he never really has grown up from that moment because every time he sees Cisco, it's like he's right back there and he's crying again and he just like cannot deal. And I'm like, I would be the same way. But I, I, I think it's really telling that he's in some interactions, he can't even look at him, you know, he's because he's trying to protect himself. But also Cisco's like, tell me everything. We only have a couple minutes. Yeah. And I also just want to shout out like what a baller dad. I mean, Cisco's like the amazing yeah. father in general, but mm -hmm. it would be excruciating to go through this from his point and only see Jake in these couple seconds or a couple mm -hmm. minutes and and not break down you know yeah. like he i probably you know i would try not to be weeping when i see jake you know yeah um and he's just calm and he's positive and he's like just do your best i believe in <laughs> you move on it'll be okay and like eternal cheerleader it's just it's amazing like how strong he is in this see in this episode yeah and and i was thinking about I, i'm glad you brought that up for the, from from cisco's perspective if there's an episode for Cisco that is closest to the inner light, I would say it's this because he has yes. this whole life. He only has about, mm -hmm. let's say at best half an hour mm -hmm. of this yeah. compressed life, but he gets to see his son grow and, and also be tortured by the fact that he, he's got to know how much it hurts Jake every time he sees him, but he's not like he's in control of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and then, he, I mean, I can only assume that the implication is if he remembers to dodge the energy, he remembers this whole life of his sons that totally. now is not going to happen, but but he has to mourn that and celebrate that at the same time. Mm, and then that's so continue true. on. Yeah. And then he still yeah, goes to the, the prophets. Like... It's like, dude, you literally saw <laughs> yeah, what to happen if you, <laughs> oh. if you leave Jay. <laughs> literally like, me every day trying not to think of Cisco with the prophets. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh my God. Like, where is he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why don't we have an answer? Uh, anyway, that's the biggest Star Trek question mark still. But yeah, oh, it's that's such a, such a true point, John. I'm really glad you brought that up. And I think too, like just the way that Cisco holds Jake at the end of this episode and like you know like Ugh. he's mourning that lifetime that Jake had and the the sacrifice that Jake made for the both of them you know and this is technically we are getting the two death fake outs here we're getting Cisco's and then we're getting Jake's as well because he decided to sever that link and to end his life yeah. early and that is an incredibly impossible decision to make and the fact that it was just like Oh yeah, of course. Like that's what I'm gonna do for Jake. Yeah, you know, it's, like it's the that first was not shot a of the episode. The episode starts yeah. with Jake ending his life. Mm -hmm. It's just yeah. a time delay thing, and so <sighs> you know, very very Watchmen-esque style moment there. But like, totally. no, I already did it. Like this is happening this is no matter set. what. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, I do love the addition of um, the woman. I think her name's Madeline, or I think so. Something like that. Um, Played by uh, Andrew Robinson's daughter. Played what? by Garrick's daughter. I did yeah. not know that. Yep. That's yeah. insane. Oh my god. <laughs> so cool. Makes it even better. She's really cool. I like the that we kind of get a character who sort of gets to be told the story. So then she's the audience as well. Gets, gets to kind of play that role. But also sort of this like a, a person who really adores Jake 
from this timeline that we're seeing is really interesting, you know, to see someone who knows all his work and is like really obsessed with him in that timeline because we only get to really see like Captain Nog, which is super epic, and then his wife. And that's the other thing I did want to mention is the scene where they do all get the Defiant back, go back to the wormhole for the test to see if they can get Cisco back. I just really love this because I think that probably the rest of the crew is with Cisco here and saying, Jake, you need to move on. Like, this is not healthy. Yeah. They have seen his life sort of take this really drastic change after Cisco came back again. And so I think that the fact that even though they probably don't think it's the best idea, they still all go and they're all there. Like, that is so special to me. I think it's really the mark of like how much they love each other and how much they love Jake and how much they love Ben, you know, that they're all there to try and get that life back for him or at least get Cisco back. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, when when even a Ferengi, a Starfleet Ferengi, but when, yeah. when Ferengi is saying, hey, maybe you should let this go, like, yeah. you should probably <laughs> take that advice. So true. Yeah. And, yeah, and I do like that because this is, do you guys know about the Salinger interview mm-hmm. in, in real life? So this this is um, based on that a J.D. Salinger, author of Catcher in the Rye, same thing, wrote one book, super, super famous book. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I've read a lot of classic books and I was like, okay, this is, I can see why this is an American novel. Yeah. But I also read totally. it at about the same time, same age as the main character is in that book. So mm. It was yeah. one, of those, one of those things. But, but yeah, a kid just went to his house one day because he's very reclusive, really? Salinger was. Mm. And, and he just said, hey, can I interview with you? And Salinger just like, yeah, okay. Wow. And that's, that wow. was the one interview that he ever gave. Phenomenal. Like, later in his life, I think. So that's it was so fun that cool. they took that wow. as the inspiration for, again, yeah. just telling a devastating story to everybody. Oh, my gosh. Well, and I well feel like... that's so, so interesting. I was going to quickly say, too, that um, Salinger also wrote a collection of short stories and a famous novel. So that's crazy. There's like that literal (laughs) book comparison. Well, and I feel like in like so many authors have stuff that they're really keeping from the public. And so this seemed like it was I mean, like everyone does, obviously. But Mm -hmm. I feel like some writers who are like truly great like that are like struggling you know deeply Mm -hmm. with something or like really understand like certain parts of the universe that other people don't another thing it reminded me of with with the bouncing back and forth again the 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 layers of of metaphor in this episode are insane the more you dig it's like oh this is what absentee parenting is like also Mm. and i'm not you know not just to to say go with the the classic deadbeat dad examples like no just this is when you don't have the influence of a parent around, but you love that person, but every time you see them, it tortures you. I mean, it's a th- mm-hmm. it, that's a reality. Like there are kids who are, you know, great with the parent they're with most of the time. Go visit the other one, come back, and it's just a rough week after that emotionally. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, it man, they just hit all kinds of different buttons with the storytelling in this, especially because it was it's such a quick death quote-unquote it's not messy but certainly devastating in just the the reality of somebody's there and then somebody's not there and yeah. you don't get to have have a final line you don't get to and ds9 is good about that they're they're yeah. great about being <laughs> like yeah give you, one, you don't usually. get to say yeah. farewell you're uh-huh. just gonna find the dead person and oh that's so true yeah yeah, yeah. john that's so beautiful and I, I think too it also makes me think of parents who or kids who have like 
lost people, like, they went missing. Or, you know, you don't really know if they're alive or dead. And, of course, with Cisco, we know that he's not technically dead, but it's very much almost like he is with him being gone for most of Jake's life. And so it does make me think, too, about, like, how, how much torture it is for people who have family members go missing and you don't know. I mean, you have an idea that they're probably not still around, but it's the not knowing that makes it almost worse because you don't get that closure. You don't get to see a body or bury someone or even I think I was wondering, like, it would have been so cool if we could have just a little bit of a longer episode so we could have seen more of the service that Cisco yeah. got because, like, it's very unique that we get to see funerals in Star Trek characters who come back. Um, we do get to see them, but... Almost it's... all the funerals we see are characters that come back. Yeah. Which, which <laughs> like... you know, for a lot of Star Trek fans right now, they're probably really hoping for. Uh-huh. For any recent uh-huh. events that might have happened, but yeah. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I know. I was like, please, I want Strange New Worlds to have a death fake I out. I know. So I was like, I hope we don't include it in this series. <laughs> uh, come on. Um, but yeah, I think that even the snippet we got of the funeral or of the service was really special. I loved seeing the entirety of the promenade just packed with people and how Jake said that people came from all over and so many people spoke. And I also just want to like shout him out for also not speaking. I know that like people might have viewed that as like, oh, you should have or an obligation or whatever. But I, I think that like, I'm really glad he chose not to because that's your own right you know you should not have to feel even if you're like a literal direct descendant of someone who's passed like you should not have to feel like you have to speak at their funeral or you have to do all these sort of things for other people to show your grief because everyone grieves in these different ways and I don't know I just thought it was really kind of cool that Jake is not the person to come up and do this whole big speech that he said like anything I would say about my dad wouldn't feel like enough and I don't know I just like really respect that and I love that Jake is always sort of choosing paths that like people wouldn't expect of him shall we say yeah and along that same line I like how everyone lets Jake grieve in his own way I know you know once he's been there for a couple years they're saying it's time to move on but they like Dax is taking care of him. That was, you know, Ben's longest friend. And so I I think it's really nice that everyone is being so sweet to him. We see a scene where Nog and Jake are about to hang out in the hollow suites and Quark's like, oh, Nog, go do a chore for me. And then Nog is like, oh, sorry, Jake, we're going to have to postpone that. And Quark, we see, he's like, oh, Oh, I can't, I can't do that to Jake. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Another, totally. another sign of how serious something is. If, if Quark is like changing his reaction to oh, it. Quark's a big old teddy bear. Yeah. Quark is the biggest <laughs> Such a softy, literally. <laughs> I mean, it is so cool to see these moments of genuine love of Quark, for Quark, yeah. you know, because we don't get to see it very often because he's always got that bravado or that front up, that Frankie front. But sometimes it comes down for the people who really matter, which is yeah. cool to see. Yeah. yeah. Good on you, Moogie. You raised Quark right. Oh, yeah. Yes. As right as, good. And, <laughs> as, right as Quark yeah. can do, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, when Aaron Eisenberg passed away, when, when the actor played Nog passed away, I know that there was a gathering on Star Trek Online of, of like, thousands of people went to the mm. promenade of Deep Space Nine and held a ceremony for him there. I was just like, okay. Tear it up at right. <laughs> I am not the Trekkiest Trekkie. I, I didn't come up with the idea to start Open Pike Night. It was an evolution of between Cam, Jesse, and I. But I love the series. I love that it spawns so much positivity most of the time. Um, mm-hmm. But then, you know, people go and do things like that. And it's just like, all right. The, that's, that's a wonderful inspiration taken from 
you know, inspired by episodes like this, and then, but also mm-hmm. just the genuine caring for the loss of somebody real. And yeah. I, I, I thought about this episode and the, the funeral scene for Cisco. And I was like, oh, look, all right, I'm getting torn up because people went online into a game and were just awesome. Mm. Wow. That is so, phenomenal. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That just really shows, too, like how much of a family Star Trek is for people and how it can become this big community. I mean, I remember when I went to Mission Chicago, they would have people um, do the Q&A at panels and just say, like, to especially to new um, actors, like Strange New World actors and stuff, like, welcome to the family, you know? And yeah. I just love that that's the mentality that we all have with Star Trek and that, like, the actors feel the same way that, like, once, even if they're in, like, an episode of Trek, like, in TNG, you know, one-off, it, they're still a part of this family and this community, and oh, that's just so cool. I, I love that Trekkies are so awesome. <laughs> Dwayne yeah. The Rock Johnson is in the Trek family. Right? Yeah, exactly. he's our family. Exactly. <laughs> once you're in, you can never leave. Never <laughs> escape, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, oh my gosh. I do want to talk a little bit about, like, Cisco's request to Jake to, like, keep living his life and make grandkids, bring this family, you know, so when Cisco appeared next, he was really hoping for Jake to have um, kids and this next step of his life. And I don't know, I just thought, like, it's understandable that Cisco would want this from Jake, but I think that's really asking a lot, you know, of someone you're going to see for two minutes or less in in their whole life, and you know this is going to be a devastating point, is I understand why, you know, he's like, please, like, go live your life, and I love that he honors that request for as long as he can, but it's a lot to ask, and I understand why Jake, after a while, was like, nope, I can't just let this go, because he says to Cisco to his dad he said I'm sorry I gave up on you and that is just the most devastating thing it's like you did not like I can't believe that you still think this after all these years but how could you not I mean I also understand I don't know I just think these two uh family members are the most incredible like they're they've always been really inspiring to me it's so cool to see a man of color who is like a such a strong father figure and and I think that's really really special especially because of how emotionally vulnerable the two of them are together and seeing these scenes particularly like when it counts you know like sure they have their fights about him staying out with Nog too long and all that stuff and they have their moments but when it's serious like they are just so in sync with their emotions and so open with each other and that's I mean, hard to do as a man and hard to do in front of your family sometimes. And so I think it's really cool that Cisco sort of fostered this space for them both yeah. to be emotional, even in these moments of like yeah. two minutes of his, you know, <laughs> this lifetime. I don't know. Just really cool. Man, it really would have been nice if Picard could have come and said the whole, hey, it's possible to do everything right and still still fail. Like, yeah. you, this is not your fault. Jake, mm-hmm. it's not your fault. You, you. It's okay to live a life, to do whatever. Yes, you are unintentionally tethered to to your father, and it's gonna hurt and mm-hmm. rip off a scab that may be twenty years old every time he shows up. But it's not your fault, and yeah. just the way he takes it so personally, and mm-hmm. which leads to the ultimate success of of what he's trying to do, but literally at the cost of his own entire life. That's what I was just going to say is that his sacrifice is what gives us the prime timeline that we know. If he had not been so obsessed and dedicated to go back to school and get all those degrees, we wouldn't have uh, Ben Sisko in the future. So, And I think also the fact that he decides to end his life with Sisko there, like obviously like 
insane decision and even when he's realizing that i'm sure that was really hard but Mm -hmm. also i kind of think he might have felt some relief you know yeah like i've been my my plan 50 years after the accident didn't work i've been failing for all of these years you know from jake's perspective finally he gets to do something that's going to make a difference and it's going to actually you know redo all of this and so it's really beautiful but that last scene especially when jake is asleep and you see ben like appear and he's just smiling at his like old son i just oh it gets me every time oh right well and i think too like watching this for the first time we were in middle school so there was definitely stuff that went over my head or just like emotional stuff that my brain was not ready for but i do remember watching this for the first time and thinking like yes this is really sad but like oh like jake's pretty old like he's lived a long life and then i'm like no not really like (laughs) star trek characters live till like 150 or longer like now that you know science is really good humans can live a really long time and so it makes it even harder to think back and watch that and think like no actually like he really was giving up so much of his life just on the chance that he could save his dad and reset this timeline and oof, that's yeah. that makes it worse for me well, you know <laughs> and i think the point is not a long life but a full life and jake mm. did not live the fullest life he could this is how the episode starts is when cisco's like hey you gotta poke your head up every once in a while and look at the world like it's life Mm-hmm. And uh, that has just been resonating for me recently. I'm like, Cisco's right. I got to look around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. It is, it is oh, a very, yeah. very real thing that needs to happen. And it's kind of the same thing with Visionary. It's like, well, mm-hmm. the Dominion War didn't happen when Ben Cisco died and Jed Zia yep. survived. <laughs> it's like, man, yeah. Cisco oh. and O'Brien really started the Dominion War. <laughs> Single handedly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's like, too true. Oh my God. Kind of implications. <laughs> These saving outs, characters yeah. and causing an intergalactic conflict. Oh my gosh. Well, it is crazy that like upon Cisco's death, we have like Bajor completely exiting the Federation. Like their ties are completely cut because really Cisco being the emissary was the only thing holding yep. it together which like you like to pretend that it's more than that watching it but like knowing that now is so impactful to me to think like yeah literally they're standing on the fact that he's the emissary and that's uh, really special to the Bajorans and so losing that is like they lost their faith in the Federation and the Klingons took over the station and all of this stuff it's just fascinating to hear like what could have been the history of the station if yeah. not for Jake <laughs> literally well, that's what I love so much about these death fake out episodes is that it does have us seeing everybody's emotions, what they're going through. This is mostly like Jake getting faked out over and over and then Cisco mm-hmm. getting faked out. But yeah, man, just what a fantastic episode. And I think probably my favorite death fake out that we've seen so far. Yeah. Of yeah. all the series. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's like up there. And I do want to read this quote too when Jake is saying goodbye to Cisco before they snap back to the previous timeline. He says, I'm doing this for you and for the boy I was who needs you more than you know. And oh, there's such a difference in sort of telling your family members that you love them. You know, that takes a lot more like emotional vulnerability. And so I think that though Cisco and Jake are close, like they probably don't like communicate that very clearly to each other they do like hugs and see you laters and all that sort of regular family stuff but i think like hearing that from cisco that like he needs you more than you know is like a huge huge change for him absolutely yeah 
Well, this has been a great conversation. It's been it's yeah. been fun to be here. Well, thank you for choosing these two episodes too. Um, like we were saying, like definitely some similarities between both of them. Some uh, war impl- implicating <laughs> <Yeah>. similarities. <laughs> similarities. But it's just been so great to have you on. And thank you for having our little clips on Open Pike Night. And I just look forward to see everything else that you do in the future. And you're thank you. always welcome back here anytime. Thank you. And uh, yeah, with open pike night go ahead and visit at open pike on twitter sign up for our newsletter and we want to hear from trek fans everywhere you, you don't have to be a podcaster you just need to have a smartphone and maybe not be right next to a jet engine when you record a clip and send it to us but <laughs> we want to hear a lot of different voices on the open pike night stage and if you're a fan of tng which will eventually roll into DS9 and Voyager because Cam never saw those either. Um, Green Shirt, a newbie's track through TNG at GreenShirt87 on Twitter. Um, give us a listen there and follow along with some of your favorite Next Generation episodes. It's been great to hang out with you. Great to meet you. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you. And thank you just for coming on this journey with us, this death fake out journey. And John, we just really appreciate you. Yeah, Yeah. it's a fun series. So have a good one. Bye. That was so lovely to have John here from Open Pike Night and Green Shirt Podcast. Uh, he already gave all of his credentials and everything to check out, <laughs> but I just want to add my little personal agreement on there that you should definitely go check out both of his podcasts and definitely support their stuff because they're doing some really cool stuff in the Trek world right now. Yeah, I mean, you know how we talk about Star Trek podcasts are all so different and all have such different like ways of doing things, and so I'm really happy that there's a podcast like open pike night and like green shirt because it's just a fun new way of looking at trek and i'm just so excited to see what they're going to do after strange new worlds because that show is coming to us an uh, end here soon this season so Rihanna, we don't talk about that <laughs> <laughs> we try not to think further than two weeks in the future <laughs> i try to think no further than like three hours into the future oh <laughs> <sighs> All right. Well, so we do have some more death fake outs to discuss. So right now we are going to talk about the Armageddon game where we lose Bashir and O'Brien. Oh no. So then a session, then Broken Link and Imprecatory Shadow, followed by Wrongs Darker Than Death and Night. Death or Night. I hate that title. No, it's Death and Night. And Night. Wow. I hate that that title. And then what we leave behind. (laughs) (laughs) Ruh-roh. going to end a little bit lighter talking about the Nagus and lastly we will end with who mourns for mourn oh my gosh I'm so excited so we're gonna kind of go from light to really dark to light again (laughs) (laughs) so now we are here talking about Armageddon game Ashlyn I love this episode (laughs) I love it (laughs) I think it's so goofy and amazing and also very serious it's like classic DS9 it's got all elements I want to start I'll do a quick plot summary essentially there's these harvesters that are being used as biological weapons of these two species for decades there's they've been at war and so they finally created an armistice a peace treaty but they have to get rid of all the harvesters so they ask starfleet to come and do it and so of course we get the best and brightest o'brien and bashir out here to do the harvester work to find a pathogen or something that will eliminate their deadliness (laughs) and they finally figure one out and the 
leaders of the two previously warring races say, oh, stay one more day for a celebratory festival, dinner thing. And then a bunch of people come in, start shooting everybody. O'Brien and Bashir are able to make it out alive. Um, They beam themselves off the site and then spend the next few days hidden away or hours. I don't really know, to be honest. It's a question mark period of time. But in that time, poor O'Brien, since he is always the one struggling, he got a little bit of harvester juice uh, no, that's not juice. <laughs> that's not a very good <laughs> correct term. a little brush with harvester Yeah, stuff. and so he is now infected with this chemical disease. Meanwhile, everyone at the station thinks they're dead because the leaders are trying to eliminate anyone who knows anything about the harvesters so that this never happens again. But that means murdering. You know, they murdered a bunch of people and they try to murder O'Brien and Bashir. And then we find out that they're alive because Keiko realizes that O'Brien doesn't drink coffee in the evening. Um, Afternoon. afternoon. Oh yeah, afternoon even. So Ashlyn, I want to talk about like a couple minutes into this episode, they're talking with Cisco on the comms and Cisco's like, please stay another night. Like O'Brien was really anxious to get home back to his family and to the station. I'm sure he's like, station's falling apart without me. Um, And so Cisco and Bashir pretty much convince him to stay. And O'Brien says, I suppose another day won't kill me. LOL. (laughs) I just thought this was (laughs) genius. I was like, the writers are literally like sitting in their little chair on high, just cracking up at their own little jokes they're making. I just thought this was absolutely genius way to start a death fake out episode is another day won't kill me. And you know that after their death is announced that Cisco's thinking back to that moment and he's like face palming. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So Ashlyn, let's talk a little bit about this scene where we find out that they're dead. Because obviously we as audience know, but where the station finds out. How what are you feeling when you're watching this? Well I thought it was really convenient that the... Because honestly, like so many of these episodes, I did not remember what happens. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm looking for the death fake out. Turns out it was really quick. Yeah, Um, easy to find. (laughs) Yeah. And so I am just not trusting these two races that are on the planet. And I know they're like coming together. At first, I was wondering maybe they're trying to like pull one over on the Federation or maybe one is like plotting against the other but they come together to make this deep fake which is of like this video of O'Brien and Bashir dying. I'm sorry I love that you call it a deep fake. (laughs) Well I was just thinking like it must be like almost impossible to tell what videos are real and aren't real in the 24th century you know because already yeah. there are some videos that it's hard, really hard to tell that they're deep fakes. So mm-hmm. that just kind of sent me spiraling a little bit. But then once I came back, I <laughs> thought that it was a really appropriate response that everybody was having. I thought Cisco maybe was a little bit fast saying like we need some replacements. But also that's his job, you know, is like yeah. they can't leave the station without a doctor you know yeah or a I chief mean, engineer picard did the exact same thing he replaced Worf like the minute data was blown up yeah. supposedly so it, it, it is an unfortunate duty you have to take as commander it's protocol absolutely mm-hmm. and i think also it kind of gets the ball rolling on everybody understanding that they're actually dead you know it mm-hmm. helps for that realism to send in like oh my gosh we have to send for their replacements that's really crazy i thought it was really sweet that dax offered to go with cisco to tell keiko that O'Brien was dead and Cisco doesn't want her help. 
I don't know. I just thought it would have been nice, actually, if Dax had been there. But Keiko really takes it like a champ, honestly. I think it was a good choice for Cisco because it would have felt too crowded, I think, Mm -hmm. if you have just people coming in and then saying your husband's dead, you know? Like, if it were the station commander... And the thing is, though, is Keiko takes this like a champ because she, I think... And this is a horrible thing, but, like, I think in some cases you kind of expect this to happen any day in your life as the wife of a Starfleet officer, especially the wife of a chief engineer on a dinky space station. Like, this is a very dangerous position. We've talked about how, like, engineering careers are very dangerous and we get the most fatalities from engineering and security. And so... I think on some level, Keiko was expecting this. And when she sees Cisco's face coming in, she knows. She says, what happened to Miles? And that just, like, kills me that, like, she was kind of anticipating this a little. Well, I feel like this is the case with so many military families or Mm -hmm. um, spouses of people who have really dangerous jobs is you don't want anything to happen to them. But to protect yourself, you have to know Mm -hmm. that. And accept it as a possible inevitability. Exactly. Accidents happen. And I really, really love with all my heart that all it takes for them to realize this is a deep fake is for Keiko to say, Miles doesn't drink coffee in the afternoon. Now, I'm, I'm thinking about <laughs> my own husband because he's the opposite. Because he, like, man, we're, we're only in our 20s and yet grandpahood is already setting in upon him <laughs> because he will fall asleep at like 8 or 9 if, if left unchecked with no coffee in the system. <laughs> He's like yawning and I'm like, bro, we have so much Netflix to watch. How dare you fall asleep right now? It's 8 o'clock. It's 8 o'clock. Yeah. And so he's chugging that coffee like right about now. It's almost 6.30 my time. I know he's (laughs) down there chugging some coffee to make it through the night. Um, But, uh, you know, Keiko's like she knows her husband's coffee habits really well or so she thinks, which I'm just going to leave that to hang. That dangling. Yeah. Till the end. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, I have so much to say about about this it is just amazing and baffling to me because first of all people can change their habits like yeah I don't tend to have caffeine late in the evening but sometimes I'm tired from an exhausting day and I have like a lot of work to do or like you said a lot of Netflix to watch you got to keep yourself up until you're like ready to go to bed or whatever so like just because O'Brien hasn't had coffee before doesn't mean that like I mean this is a long project they're working on I mean O'Brien said that Bashir was doing most of the work, but O'Brien still has a ton to do with all these new systems and everything that, sure, he'd probably have the coffee of the evening for, to make up for it. Also, like, I, they don't ever talk about this in Star Trek, but Deep Space Nine has its own, like, night and day circulation thing going mm-hmm. on where they have their own time zone on the station yeah. but like when they go to other planets it's just random you know it's like whatever right. time you arrive so it's like eternal jet lag yeah. every time you go somewhere and so of course miles would be chugging coffee because to him That's so true it's like 8 a.m you know oh my god <laughs> ashlyn i literally never thought of like different planet time zones but you're so right well this is the thing that I'm shocked that no one raises when Keiko's like... I mean, someone does ask. I think it's Dax or someone who's like, are you sure he just, like, made an exception or something? Yeah, but what I'm so proud of is that Cisco's like, you're right, let's investigate. And this is such a jump from what we see in The Next Generation where Beverly's trying desperately to convince people that Mm -hmm. she knows what's going on and no one listens to her. But in this case, everyone's like, yeah, 
let's do it. I mean, and I also understand, like, it doesn't hurt to check this out, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think that's mostly why Benjamin's, like, following through on this. He's like, okay, you know, might as well. Well, and they probably don't want, I mean, obviously they don't want their officers to be dead and their friends to be dead. So there's, like, if there's any chance that even someone's not being truthful, we want to know why. Yeah. So I'm glad, like, this is what leads them to find out that, yeah, there's actually five seconds missing. They, they like, deleted a part. Of course, no one vanishes like they do in the tape. In real life, like, armed guards have come in and, like, executed everybody in the room. Yeah. And then Bashir and O'Brien were like, beam us out. And um, can I say that this is only because of O'Brien's, like, intense war experience does he, like, get them out alive of this? Because, like... He's doing all the work. Poor little Bashir is like, <laughs> what is going on? There's people firing at me and he's in the corner. And O'Brien is like shooting people, doing these crazy roles. And he's the one who contacts the runabout. Of course, it's runabout. <laughs> I don't think it's the, the Rio Grande. Yeah. LOL. So wrong series. Um, he contacts the Rio Grande and it's not it's not letting them beam up because they've, they're blocking communication or whatever. And so then he does the site-to-site transport to get them out of there alive i'm just like this quick thinking literally gets them out of there and make sure that this episode is a fake out death yeah crazy seriously well and o'brien was almost had a real death too because he's really suffering yeah from he's, the harvester. he's like julian put the wire in the bin you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i mean he's not doing well he's really not <laughs> oh yeah i also just think it's kind of savage that the explanation the fake explanation they use for this death fake out is that O'Brien accidentally triggered a like buried deep program that was a like counterinsurgency program I think which yeah. is exactly from the episode um well it's from the episode where um, that was her the title brain. yeah <laughs> I was trying to google in my brain it's the like exact same plot of the episode where they do trigger the Cardassian Impacnor crazy counterinsurgency program and Goldicott's like hello Bajoran workers you know I was like this is like exactly what they, they said we watched another episode of Deep Space Nine and we liked that one so we chose this for their uh death fake out but I thought it was rude that they blamed O'Brien because like I mean they weren't really blaming him they said like it's not the chief's fault like we didn't know this program was in the system but they still obviously it's a fake out and those two aren't dead and he didn't trigger any system You're it is slandering kinda... O'Brien's name yeah <laughs> I'm just like, wow, you choose the chief to get something wrong, which also shows that, like, it could be a lie because, like, I don't think O'Brien would miss something like that. He's very detail-oriented. And Dax is like, he must have been so deep in the system. Yeah. Like, as the justification. Like, no way. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I thought that was savage. <laughs> it was. Okay, well, I can't hold it in any longer. Here's the thing that blows my mind the most. <laughs> so, like, they're able to escape and it's all fine and nobody's dead. And then Keiko's talking to O'Brien and she's like, I only knew it because you never drink coffee in the afternoon. And O'Brien's like, I I always drink coffee in the afternoon. And she's like, what? And like, then the episode just ends. And then it's over. And I'm like, this is classic season two. Oh just like God. dropping bombs out here and then leaving. And then just, yeah, literally <laughs> drop that mic, get out of there. Well, and here's the thing, Ashlyn, like, she didn't even say, like, I knew this is why. I think he made a comment about, like, oh, I could really use a cup of coffee right now. And she's like, but Miles, it's after, like, 4 p.m. or whatever. Oh, my God. <laughs> and you don't drink coffee in the afternoon. 
<laughs> and I, I just, oh, it blows my mind. I just feel like this is so lucky, you know, that Keiko had this thought about him because they would have died if Keiko yeah. had not wrongly oh, believed that he drank coffee in the afternoon. It just blows my mind. It's truly incredible. Um, <laughs> I don't really know, like, what to say. Like, that's just so lucky. Yeah. <laughs> Way to go, Keiko. Yes, there's one more thing. Oh, go ahead. One more quick thing, because we don't see a lot of them mourning in this episode um, in Armageddon Game, because we see them mostly trying to figure out what is wrong with the footage, all of that. But Dax and Kira do get this really lovely moment where Dax is talking about how she has Julian's old medical diaries, which, you know, this is classic season two Julian as well. He's like, I'm so unique and special and wonderful. I need to show this person I'm really attracted to my diaries so that she can get a better insight into my mind. Cringe. How like, great my mind is. I was like, Cringe. oh, Lord. Yeah. But the the conversation that the two of them have is really lovely because Kira was like, do you, did you get an insight into his mind? And she says, I never got around to reading them. And this is like another sort of reminding me of the episodes we just talked about with John. Like, you got to just start doing the things that you've been putting off because like you literally never know when someone's going to die or you're going to die. Or like, I just feel like Deep Space Nine keeps imparting these, like, you got to seize the moment, you know, and, and Dax is realizing this too. Like, I didn't even ever get around to reading, which fair enough, I probably would be annoyed. Like, come on, Julian, I don't have time to read your most inner thoughts. But she says I should give them to his parents. And Kira says, no, he would want you to have them. And that's true, for sure. I mean, we know because he doesn't like his parents and they have quite a lot of issues. But even without that, I just thought it was a really interesting scene of, like, the things we regret when we think we've lost somebody. I kind of think his parents would be pissed that he had that diaries, diaries that he didn't that they didn't know about. Mm. Like, I think about no matter what the relationship was, wouldn't you still want to know what your son was thinking, you know? Oh, totally. Yeah. But so, I don't think Julian would have wanted it's true. the diaries it's true. to go to his parents. But I think if his parents had known, there would have been a little custody battle. Oh. A little diary battle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for mentioning that scene. I think that's an important one. I'm glad you mentioned it, Rihanna. Yeah, thanks. Another thing we have to mention, which is the episode <laughs> A Session, um, and that is all about the poet Acorum, who supposedly died like 200 years ago, mm-hmm. but he just shows on up at DS9. <laughs> Classic death fake out here right in the beginning. He had an accident, and he was chilling in the wormhole, and the prophets just like kept in there. And then they sent him back, and he is the emissary. Dun dun dun. Um, <laughs> and so now Bajor is like thrown into chaos, sort of. I, I mean, they kind of are actually, mm-hmm. because Akorum. Well, Cisco willingly gives over his emissary status because yeah, he's like, to be honest, yeah. And he's looking at like all the prophecies, and he's like, actually, Akorum fits these way better than me. Yeah. So it's fine. And so he willingly gives it up, and then Akorum is like wanting to go back he's like let's make bajor great again let's bring back the mm-hmm. um the dajaras which is basically like a classist system yeah it's a caste system oh yeah that's the real word for it yeah. thank you <laughs> but also yes it's a low classist mm-hmm. yeah and so it forces everybody to go back to the job that they would have had 200 years ago so mm-hmm. like for kira she has to give up her position on the station and become oh. an artist which is not yeah. her forte she makes really terrible skull that I Although would gladly I want, buy. Yeah, yeah. I want <laughs> Kira original like so much, and I really yes. wish they could have done a Kira Nerys original Easter egg somewhere on later in these episodes, like it was oh. on Cisco's desk or something. But 
anyway, I digress. Yeah, well, so it's forcing all these people who, like, for example, the current Kai, is it, or Vedic Brial? No, it's Win. Oh, it's, ew, boo, it's Win. Um, Someone was elected to Bajor who was a farmer originally, and so they're like, are you going to ask him to step down? I feel like it was Brial. There's a Vedic Pator or something in this episode. What's his name? Vedic. Oh, that old old dude. Yeah. Crusty old congressman. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, he's like the equivalent of a crusty old white dog, you know, where they have like the crusty eyes. Yeah, but he's not like a senator, so it's even more dangerous. Yeah. (laughs) His power. (laughs) So he's like a crusty old senator. Power. Power. Um, But. Yeah, so there, yeah, Cisco's like, are you going to make him be a farmer? And he's like, no, like, by the time re-elections happen, he's probably going to lose, and then we'll make him go back to being a farmer, you know? So it just, it's a great reminder that in some ways, we have progressed for the better, you know? Mm -hmm. And Bajor, you know, the occupation was what ended the Jajara system, but surprisingly, like, we're finding with the pandemic, there are some things that come out of it that are actually, like beneficial that they might not have had they might not have chosen to do for a lot longer like it spurred this change that was coming anyway i'm not trying to imply at all that the occupation was good i just want everyone to know i'm not a sympathizer and i think genocide is terrible um but i say the pandemic because we have zoom Mm -hmm. that is like used more frequently people can work from home you know um changing the whole ways in which we think of work and like what we deserve yeah for jobs. and maybe have a shorter work week Woo. yeah and like higher pay for minimum <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And... so yeah it's spurring change that should be happening anyway but like mm-hmm. we're speeding it would have taken longer yes yeah. to pangelica here um yeah. <laughs> so yeah so cisco what i love about this is once he sees that this is going on he basically is like all right it's time for a profit off <laughs> literally no i was like i love this this is like such a cut and dry perfect solution cut and dry is not the word i needed this is a elegant it is it's an elegant solution (laughs) yeah you're not wrong and it's so cisco like this is something i love so much about him is that he is no bullshit like he is gonna come onto this station and be like okay i don't want to be the emissary but this guy is like really really messing with society and trying to like bringing back old things that don't need to be brought back and so cisco's like okay we just need to talk to the prophets and figure out where the mistake lies and of course the prophets are non-linear they have a way different way of life thinking about life thinking about their place in the universe so they don't even know that this was like happening they didn't intend this Yeah. yeah and i think sometimes i forget that the prophets aren't just like watching all the time they're not just like keeping an eye on Bajor and Deep Space Nine and watching all the episodes with us like they don't really have much contact with Bajor unless it's through Cisco. yeah which leaves a lot to be desired about them being worshipped as gods but mm-hmm. um it is I do think once again I say this a lot like just being able to go ask the prophets is really cool and something yeah. that the emissary that Cisco is like able to do is really sick, you know? Yes. Um, and while he's there, they're like, the Dajars are trash, basically. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, they're what? like, we never intended that. They're like, that is not, like, they don't even like, they're like, what? From the past? Like, oh, from your past? I love, though, that, like, Cisco did give them a little, like, crash course. He's like, this is what we are as linear people, like, in the first episode, you know? And so I'm glad that they took that to heart. And they're like, oh, yeah, they're linear. Ah, 
forgot about that. These weirdos, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that it's a great choice at the end because Akoram is like, what do I do then? Yeah. If I'm not the emissary, like, what's going on? And they just sent him back in time to the moment that he left, like, un- mm-hmm. uninjured from his accident, I guess. Yeah. And then he's able to spend the rest of his life with his family, and he's able to finish his poems and his books that he didn't finish before. The thing oh that you yeah. can't look too deeply into is that <laughs> the past has not changed the future, which it I feel like it should. Oh, the like, prophets work in mysterious ways. Yeah, and I... Cisco's only explanation. Exactly, that's all I can say. Yeah. Too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it makes no sense. Um, but I know that I would also, like, wet my pants if I woke up one morning and saw that Kubla Khan had, like four more pages or something like i would just pass is out. that the guy who was like tripping out and someone knocked on his door yes uh. the person of poor lock knocked on samuel taylor coleridge's door while he was writing kubla khan and he just forgot everything and so that's why it's a fragmented poem anyway i was like this is just also such a like don't meet your heroes story as well oh yeah. you know like especially <laughs> yeah. i think about like if i met samuel taylor coleridge today I'd be like, you're probably like a Nazi sympathizer, bro. Like, you know, because so many poets, maybe not from his era, because he was early romantic, but like T.S. Eliot had like fascist leanings for a while. I mean, Robert Frost was no good. Like knowing them personally is very different. And so I think this episode really emphasizes that like people of the past have such different perspectives on life because literally life was so different then especially 200 years in the past 200 years like think about right now if we had someone from 200 years ago from 1822 come to us they'd be like why are you women naked you know yeah (laughs) well and like then putting them in a religious figure like the most revered religious figure power position right away like i love that no one even blinked at this and it's exactly what kira explains like you don't realize it's benjamin but we would do anything for you as the emissary like we would do anything you asked and that's like terrifying but deep space nine is so good at showing us that like the past should stay in the past and we grow from these things for a reason and like i think it just is something that we should all rewatch today to remember to not but people who want to like go back to the past in positions of power or you know 200 year old people either yeah <laughs> we have some <laughs> people in power who are close to 200 it feels yeah. like <laughs> or at least have a 200 year old mentality <laughs> exactly yeah yeah okay well now we're gonna continue to descend into this dark and twisty path and talk <laughs> a little bit about um tane aka garrick's dad Hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> very weak cheer for Garrett's yeah. dad. <laughs> uh, that's about as nice as I can be. So he, we see him. It's not even like we see him that much in the episode Broken Link. That this is like a one where Odo's like flaking around and he yeah. needs to like do it with the changeling lady in order to get back to normal. But none of that matters <laughs> if yeah. in, our, in this conversation because. There's, like, one crucial moment where Garrick is, like, running up to the female changeling and is like, hey, are there any survivors from those Cardassian ships? Because that would be cool. And she's like, she says no. She says there's no survivors. Mm -hmm. But it's, like, I would be so pissed with this answer because she's like, yeah, there was no survivors. 
and basically like all of Cardassia is dead and yeah. you're dead because you choose to f with us essentially yeah. is what she says <laughs> word for word actually yeah <laughs> like she's yeah. really annoyed with the cardassians which is so funny that they end up like linking up later <laughs> hey good one ashlyn that yeah chain is strong yeah i know i i think that this episode is so interesting because we're combining characters who are like unlikely you know we have Odo and Garrick on this mission to go see Tane and Tane is is like leading this Romulan attack vessel I don't know anyway he's got this whole plot going on and he wants Garrick involved and so obviously Garrick is like pretty iffy on wanting to help his dad on things but also he like we talked about in our family series he has attachments to his father and these and unhealthy obligations ways. he feels obligations. like he has to fulfill yeah yeah exactly especially as like a part of the order pretty much like the son of the obsidian order you know like that's a huge burden to bear so when he finds out that everything's destroyed i think there's a fraction of relief and a fraction of guilt sort of at war with him because he didn't have this great relationship with his dad obviously <laughs> and auburn Tain is the worst but you're like we said he has this obligation and this sort of duty as a son and so it sort of stays like that for a while like we don't this death fake out is very prolonged yeah which i think is a great death fake out because we just go along business as normal garrick has moved on you know i think part of him will not believe that his father's dead until he sees Mm -hmm. a body because garrick has seen a lot of star trek and he knows that unless Mm -hmm. there's a body they might be coming back (laughs) He has been in the Itzibian Order. He's probably, like, faked a lot of deaths of other, you know, members. Absolutely. And so then it's maybe not to Garrick's surprise, but it is to my surprise that in Purgatory Shadow, this is an episode in the whole next season, um, in season five, we find out that actually he is alive, along with Martok, my friend, my bestie Martok (laughs) is alive too. Um, and the real Bashir is here. And the, yeah, the real Bashir. <laughs> Poor guy. Oh, Lord. Um, yeah. But this whole thing started because there was, like, random Cardassian secret codes coming through the wormhole. And uh, DS9's like, um, <laughs> this is really <laughs> yeah. weird. Mm-hmm. And Garrick is the only one who could translate it because it was a special code that him and his dad had. So initially yeah. he lies and says that the code is a from an ancient outpost ancient like he says it's a five-year-old message from an old like survey mission and then he goes and steals a shuttle with Bashir well Bashir knows what's going on because he at this point can read that Garrick is like probably lying so they meet up in the shuttle and then I think great idea for Bashir to backtrack and tell Cisco about this because they needed to have Worf on this mission (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. Worf is essential to this whole arc. To every arc. Yeah. <laughs> like, true. why haven't Worf been in any of these other episodes? <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we have not talked about Worf enough. Um, and we won't really again. I mean, he no, is a yeah. great part of this episode, but... No death fakeouts for this man. No, he's... I think he got a break after TNG. He, he had really... enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it turns out Nobrantain is alive and he's not doing well though no he is suffering from heart failure um he's also like an elderly man at this point so it it is pretty amazing that he was able to crawl in there and send that transmission to garrick that was really cool but also like 
then it you know forces Garrick into this position to come and save him and eventually of course I'm glad because it gets the real Bashir out it gets Mothrock out like so good results but like awful because then we have the real death at the end of this first parter yep and I mean, you can kind of think of it as a continued death fake out because Garrick will have visions of his dead dad for like the rest of the show. Yeah, literally <laughs> up to the finale. Like, Yeah, like yeah. he can never shake this. But mm-hmm. this is actually the final death for an Aubertain, which I am happy about for yes. the world. Same. I have yeah. this Garrick shirt on and he's also <laughs> looking very happy about that. <laughs> he approves this message. Yes. <laughs> Well, I think uh, we'll just get a little more sketchy and <laughs> let's talk about wrongs darker than death and night. Um, mm. This is uh, problematic. This is, of course, the one where Dukat unceremoniously just like pops into Kira's DMs um, like in the middle of the <laughs> night. Why would you say DMs? That's too true. Oh, that's just too like true. all the people you don't want to see. Like, yeah. you know. Um, Mm -hmm. And he's like, knock, knock, happy birthday to your mother. And she's like, you need to leave, like, go away. And then he drops all these facts that Mm -hmm. um, really he knew her mother, and her name is Kira Maru. He basically chooses this moment to reveal that they were lovers during the occupation. Mm -hmm. And Kira's mom did not die, as she thought, in the labor camp. But she actually died. And we find this out at the end of the episode because Kira has this like life altering experience with the orb where she's able to go back in time. We did talk about this in family and and in time travel. So (laughs) this is why for death fake outs, it's, you know, we're just kind of sprinkling on. Yeah, just the briefest parts here. Yeah, but at the end of the episode, after Kira has witnessed this very hard situation, she looks up that Kira actually died. Uh, Kira Maru actually died in a Cardassian hospital seven years after her initial capture by Dukat. So mm-hmm. seven years she spent, as Kira says, Kira Narice says, like drinking champagne and toasting with Dukat and living a comfy life while Bajorans were just being murdered in their beds. Mm-hmm. So that's really tough to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. But also, like, her mom was unwillingly put into the situation you know like this was not consensual either and this was to save her children's lives and her husband's life and so it's like a huge sacrifice and one that a lot of women had to make during the Bajoran occupation so it's a really tough two-sided coin here and I just like am hurting for Kira you know (laughs) tough two-sided coin like (laughs) man that that coin has been through it it's a really tough coin You know what I mean. I just mostly whenever one of us says weird things, I just let it yeah, go. But that was it out. that was really oh. funny. <laughs> That's almost as bad as um Oh my god, destroyal. <laughs> destroyal. <laughs> I will never forget that. Anyway, this is a tough episode. I feel really bad for Kira. But I'm glad that she finally got answers so she can start getting closure, even if the answers are tough. It's kind of like with Jake. The truth is better than lies. And so Kira has a better sense of really who her mother was and the type of person she was, even though if she had not known that, her life would have been much easier. And same with Jake and Sisko. If Jake had not known that Sisko was was still alive in the void, he Mm might have had a much better life. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. Well, so I think let's finish this dark time by yeah. <laughs> talking about Ducat. And this is this is amazing. This might be my favorite death fake out, honestly. 
<laughs> I never expected that. Okay. You know, why don't we add a question about what the favorite death fake out is? Like at the be- like another another question? <laughs> <laughs> That's maybe at the end. Okay, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm gonna answer it right now. Okay. My favorite death fake out is definitely Golden Cots because <laughs> So we've had this whole show, right? Like seven yeah. years of seven seasons of this mm-hmm. horrible, horrible Cardassian who's the worst. And if this was the Patreon, I'd be swearing right now because yeah. Goldicott's the worst. In this last finale episode, what we've been building to for so long, and the, especially the seventh season, it's been so intense. Mm-hmm. And we have the two most hated characters in the whole series, Goldicott and Kai Wynn, are chilling in the worst place. They're like in the <laughs> cave of the Paw Wraiths, you know? Yeah. This yes. is... This is the most evil you can get, you know? Truly. <laughs> and so Kai Wynn, she freaking poisons Gold Dukat because mm-hmm. she read in the sacred text that a body, like someone needs to be sacrificed for the Paw race to rise out of the caves. And so she's like, hey, hey, I got one up on Dukat. And she yes. actually does. She poisons she him. She achieves it. Yeah. Yeah. And he doesn't even suspect it. Like, wow. Why? Ashlyn, answer me this. Why didn't Koldakot see this coming? If he's read the ancient text, or he can't because only Kai Wynn can? Yeah, he can't read him. But so he let his guard down for one minute. I also think that even if, he probably assumed, you know, that some kind of shady stuff was going to have to happen <laughs> in the cave. And yeah. so I think his ego was so big that he trusted Kai Wynn to not sacrifice him, like not yeah. kill him at the last minute. Okay, that's well, so true. So the reason this is my favorite is because <laughs> he goes down like he's poisoned, he's yeah. dead for like one second, and then Kai <laughs> Win, she's like kissing the air, she's like blessing herself, yeah. she's like, "I did it. Let this body be a vessel for the paw race," you know. And but she's talking about Gold Ducat, but I think mm-hmm. the the paw race hear that and they're like, "Who would be our leader? Like, who would be yeah. better?" And they of course choose Ducat because Kai Win is terrible too. Yeah. Um. And so then the, the flames, like, <laughs> get her. And then Dukat's eyes open and they're red. And I, I, I just, I don't know. I just love it. Like, he's, it's it's so, it's evil times evil, you yes. know? I mean, it literally, like, it made me think, because a couple weeks ago I finally defeated Ganon in Breath of the Wild. And so it made me think of that where, like, you think you defeated him and then he comes back more evil and stronger and you're like no it wasn't the final boss now it's final boss Ducat like Uh. it's always the most evil I feel like that have this death fake out and they come back stronger absolutely that's such a trope but it's so it's one that I just love he literally gets to personify evil for that these last moments of this finale exactly literally he's (laughs) he's like the devil (laughs) for a second well and then of course the part that's even better than the fake out is the actual death when he gets like pushed into the flames everyone's like cisco yeah yeah exactly yeah oh which also just push him (laughs) don't go with him but anyway but i think someone like ducat he might not stay dead unless you drag him down to hell you know true all right, yeah, and that's the end of Gold Ducat, which is great. <laughs> Drag him down to hell. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Someone who's not probably going to go to hell, but who might actually. <laughs> well, I don't know, but that's the Grand Negus. <laughs> <laughs> the transitions are getting weaker as, as the podcast continues. I feel like when we first started the pod, I was oh like, both of us had like dynamate yeah. transitions. And these days it's like, well... He could go to hell. <laughs> yeah, it's because I used to write like literally all of my notes down for every single moment. Anyway, 
the Nagus. Here we are. The Grand um, Nagus. So, we're starting out with Grand Nagus Zek coming on the station. He has this meeting with a lot of Ferengis. Essentially, he wants to retire, and it's going to be his first vacation in 85 years, which, like... Yikes. That... <laughs> That, uh, that's capitalism I was right gonna, there. Yeah, I was just thinking that. It sounds big capitalist. <laughs> uh, which is, you know, Franginar, so. Um, and then, I'm just gonna skip ahead, because there's a lot of Frangi politics um, that is more important after the fake-out death, because Nagus dies in his quarters, quote-unquote, <laughs> and Quark is right there, so he's, like, very shocked. And Quark then becomes Nagus, because this was Zek's decision. They say that he died of an infection. Yeah, okay. it was a funny. <laughs> I actually wrote it down because I thought it was such a funny explanation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It said he died of a massive infection of the tympanic membrane. What? And he was old, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Fair so enough. Period. That's it. So the Nagus is dead. Quark's the new Nagus, and immediately. Odo is suspicious because this is Odo. He comes in and I, I love, because we, I think we, we learned about this ritual in body parts when Quark thinks he's dying, how um, the Ferengi like vacuum seal parts of the body and sell it to the highest bidder. And of course the Grand Nagus parts of the body are very <laughs> um, expensive. And so... Yeah, well, it's just because yeah. Odo's an interesting trying, ritual. Odo's yeah. like, I need an autopsy stat, and they're all yeah. cracking up. They're like, Hey, hey, he's in this <laughs> we bottle. Chopped him up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like what? <laughs> Which also, like, who did they chop up and put in the bottle? You know? Oh my god! Or it wasn't just like what's in that bottle? Probably just goo or something. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. I just think it's a really interesting death ritual, <laughs> and it very fringy. Yeah. Yes. Might might as well sell them off. Yeah. <laughs> what I love about this is, I mean, surprisingly, we're about to talk about it, but Quirk is involved in two death fake outs. Well, three, <laughs> including O'Brien. Um, yeah, true. And he's been made Nagus, you know, like right before Zek dies. Mm-hmm. And just immediately, there's just assassination attempts right away yeah, to right kill away. Quark. Yeah. The thing I was most shocked about is that, because we haven't mentioned him, but Zek's son who yeah. I straight forgot about, and I don't think he has yep. an appearance after this episode. Nope. Because <laughs> um, he was being tested, we find uh-huh. out. But so his son is furious that Quark is the Nagus because he wants to be the Nagus, obviously, as being the son. Mm-hmm. And so he teams up with Rom, and he actually tries to murder Quark, but he puts him in the airlock. And then Rom straight up is like, earlier you told me to like shoot myself out of an airlock, so I'm going to do it to you. I could not believe this. Yeah. Shocking. This is early days, Rom. Yeah. Where There's he had a like, lot of resentment built yeah, up here. No development for him. I think he was just a side Ferengi, you know? Yeah, More totally. so than like a fleshed out character. Because he's even like yelling at Nog in this episode. I really don't like Rom. Yeah. I mean, he didn't let Nog go to school. And Jake had to like teach him how to read in secret. So I just cute. cry every time I think of that. Me too. Anyway. It turns out... It was all a test. I mean, this is crazy. He, the Nagus, gave himself an injection that, I guess, oh, a sleeping vaccine. Yeah. <laughs> sleeping vaccine. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> 
it was some kind of shot. I didn't write it down, yeah. but something to like simulate death. Maybe like a, so, deep, a deep sleep, like a hibernation or something. Yeah, I mean, it. it's definitely McCoy style. So probably whatever he has in his... For sure. Like his little <laughs> assistant kid. dude was watching a yeah. time and he's like, that thing works well. Exactly. <laughs> use that for a sec. Yeah. So this is a very good ploy, but it's just Quark being caught in the middle of it always and being used as a pawn for like some some sort of scheme. And I mean, fair enough, Quark uses people as pawns for his own schemes. It's just a, the Frangi way. <laughs> um, so they all sort of brush it off at the end. But I just think that's why these Frankie episodes are so funny and why like this death fake out is I don't really take it that seriously even when they're about to shoot Quark out of an airlock I'm like I know this is not gonna end like this but it's still surprising you know I didn't um, know how it was gonna end I was really surprised <laughs> yeah also Quark in the end really respects Rom for doing that <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying like I think it just makes them so funny because of their reactions to all these things. Like, no big emotional talks or anything. They're just, he's just like, nice. That was really good. I would have done that too or whatever. And I'm like, are yeah. you serious? Like, what? Well, I think also what you were saying, like, I, do I really believe this death fake out? I think that Zach is already old, so it does make it mm-hmm. more believable. And he's been True. talking about retiring. and Which is always when someone dies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> That's the TV trope. Oh my god! Like about to retire, like duck. Yeah, I'm gonna get shot. Um, uh, yeah, it's literally what happened. So yeah. also because Zach is not a character that we know well, we just were introduced to him this episode. Yeah. And so I, when I was first watching it, like I totally thought he was dead because yeah, like, that's true. Why does it matter? You know, mm-hmm. if he's if he's alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's a side character, like not as important to the main story. Yeah. Now, here we go. <laughs> this is what I'm really <laughs> here to talk about today. Yes. This is Who Mourns for Morn. And this is another episode that Quark is deeply featured in. Mm-hmm. Because our favorite bar attending friend, our, 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 favorite, yeah. our favorite person, Morn, has passed away. And, you know, we see him all the time chatting up every patron you know like yeah. drinking away work mm-hmm. supply but damn if he doesn't pay his bar tab on time you know <laughs> yeah oh he's a great man everyone loves morn yeah he, um, he was Jadzia loves morn was yeah. very attracted to morn for a while Mm-hmm. And then he's he, like, nah. He said okay. no to He Dax. rejected Jadzia. Uh, and Worf was like, why? I love that. I was like, I would be that way too. I'd be like, why? This like starts a fight, which I love. Yeah. When Worf says that he and Morn were sparring partners. Yes. This is my favorite little fact. Unbelievable. So cool. Morn is just the best friend to everyone. So yeah, we hear that he died in an uh, accident, like a shuttle accident. Was it during an ion storm? Because that's how the poet got sucked into the wormhole i actually think it might have (laughs) been i wouldn't put it past star trek to just have most death fake outs be ion storms because that's like the most common use for any of these shows literally up until discovery we're still having ion storms okay so we were talking about like different funeral traditions and stuff and i think it was really interesting because the funeral traditions for lorians it's to bring gifts to the departed and like have a celebration and i thought that was cool sort of like giving what they would want and something special and it's cool to see what everyone brings you know like odo brought a bottle opener and uh, yeah everyone brought something and it was it was just really lovely yeah 
to me this actually seems like a real funeral and i feel like this is the deepest that our characters get from any death fake out you know yeah especially in ds9 and we actually get to see the the sweet funeral service and also that quark is starting to really um, take an interest in this you know because he realizes who's gonna keep all these gifts that our people yeah. are giving to more and they're gonna stay in the bar mm-hmm. also he's noticing that he can like pretend that the most expensive drink in the bar was morn's so everyone will yeah. buy buy one you know mm-hmm. so he's already making latinum off of this situation which is good totally off of this funeral <laughs> yeah and yeah. so and even though like morn you know like they're they're close but not mm-hmm. necessarily you know like besties as close as he thought he says yeah, yeah. And so Odo, it turns out, meets up with Quark and says um, that Morn left a thousand latinum bricks to Quark, which is crazy. That's so much. Yeah. Even strips are a lot. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's probably bars, not bricks, right? Well, at the end, they kind of look like bricks, but yeah, they're kind of, I guess they're bars. But so then after this happens all these mysterious people start appearing on the station yeah first it's morin's ex-wife that no one's ever told anyone about no one knows mm-hmm. and she's like in his mud bath bed um, yeah it's not good no <laughs> None of this scene is good it's not good and she's asking quark you know trying to charm him saying like oh where's the latinum mm-hmm. and then these brothers come and they say that morin owns the money from like losing from gambling Mm -hmm. initially the ex-wife said he got the money from the lottery that he won (laughs) so we're getting a lot of stories and then lastly this other guy comes and says that morn is actually a prince and he uh that's like the family money that they gave him once he left the royalty so he could just survive Mm mm-hmm and so, like, I, what's oh my God. funny is, I love this. like, there's so much we don't know about Morn that the characters that we trust have already said about him. When all these people yeah. are coming into his life, I'm not disbelieving anything because I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah it makes sense. He's probably a prince. Sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can see it. Yeah. yeah, I know. I trust them like Quark does. And like, they all, again, just use him in their little game to get Morn's money. Because turns out that these characters we're all in a heist together essentially. this is actually oceans 11 yeah literally. this is like 20 years after the heist the first heist yeah yeah i love that i just i wish we could see like a, a star trek morn's heist episode <laughs> short trek yeah maybe we'll get a short trek morn's, morn's early heist days yes um yeah so they stole all of this money from this like crazy bank or i don't know who knows it sounds more legendary than we know anything about and no one knows where this money is because morn took off with it right after the heist and double crossed them essentially savage no one knows where the latinum is they think it's in finally in these cargo holds there's a, a fight breaks out <laughs> i love my favorite line of this episode is when quark is breaking open the bars of fake gold, gold bars yeah and he goes it's just bits of worthless gold <laughs> <laughs> i just love that and yeah so Ashlyn, you want to talk about the end of this episode? Oh my gosh. Well, so <laughs> it's been mentioned that Morn has two stomachs. And also the, the ex-wife has also brought up early in this episode that 
the trial or like the limit to which they could be prosecuted for this crime has just been lifted like two weeks ago that's right and yeah. they said this like 20 minutes in and i'm thinking ding 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 like maybe morn is alive because yeah there you this go. is um like very suspicious that he disappeared right after this and all the people involved in this heist were looking around like which you killed him anyway and they said no one had so they didn't know like it maybe it truly was an accident mm-hmm. but so anyway they are back in the bar and they're very everyone's still really sad about morn and cork mm-hmm. is like oh my gosh i guess all the latinum was a lie you know mm-hmm. and then in walks morn to the bar and <laughs> Quark is like, you have to explain yourself. And then he's like, no, don't explain yourself. Because Morn, of course, has never said a word. And this is the running joke. Yeah, Um, totally. And so it turns out Morn starts puking. And here comes the latinum. (laughs) (laughs) Second stomach. That's where he hit it all along. The whole time. Like 20 years, dude. I would have never guessed that. Like, that was such a clever ending. No. And also that Morn... Like, I love that we're learning so much more about him. It's so fun to explore this character that is usually just a background piece in the episode. Yeah, it's just so fantastic and so well done. And I'm so proud of Morn, but also, like, cracking up that he did this heist. But now he has all this platinum because the period ended, whatever. Yeah, and all the people have been arrested. So he used Quark to fake his own death and get Quark to deal with all of these people and yeah. it totally worked which and was he amazing. gave him some latinum which was nice and quark was pumped about the latinum he was like yeah oh my it was God. apparently a lot by yeah. that little tiny glass full yeah so. he was freaking out <laughs> i guess win-win again like quark treats it so nonchalantly like he's just happy to have get paid at the end of this craziness he even and says, that's usually quarks he says if yeah. you want to do this again hit me up <laughs> <laughs> literally he says all i've already been used with the negus like I, it will happen again to quark it's gonna keep happening but that's because he gets money out of it, and that's why he gets himself into these things, too. Exactly. And it's a classic episode, but also so, like, really lovely seeing how much everyone cared about Morn. Seeing everybody mourn. Yeah. I mean, who mourns for Morn? It's everyone. Everyone. Yeah. <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> All of us, too. Like, it was yeah. hard knowing that he had died in that, like, first... 30 minutes of the episode i mean he's just like a staple of ds9 like not only of quark's bar but you just see morn wandering about and you're like yeah and Mm -hmm. it made me think about uh because we're really he's the only one of his species that we see in old quote-unquote old trek but yeah i I was gonna say when i was watching discovery I screamed. I was watching with yes. my husband, and he's like, why are you screaming? Yeah. Which I always scream during Star Trek, so he shouldn't be surprised True. anymore. Yeah. But at that time, I was screaming because I saw someone of Morn species yes. just chilling as one of the Federation, like, council or something. Maybe not the council, but, like, in a group when they were all talking about something. Yeah. Anyway. No, no. Well, and I'm looking at um, Memory Alpha. He was also an Emerald Chain henchman. Bro. Or, or they were the Lur- the lyrian so amazing yeah wow. i know it's so cool i love these and also have you been noticing any bar scene in lower decks have some worn usually yes yes so good a, or a lurian so i just really love this and it's a shout out to an amazing character this is who i'm so glad is alive and thriving and i hope will be for a long time well rihanna to wrap this up let's ask a new question we just created during the pod um yeah what was your favorite fake out of this episode Favorite's a hard one because I do want to say The Visitor, but it's so painful that I'm not going to say, like, it was great, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, 
it's not like I really love watching it, but I'm definitely gonna say Mourns for Morn, even though this episode has some weird bumps with the, like, crazy characters who come aboard. Yeah, I just thought it was a really lovely ode to Morn, and also it just made me so relieved to hear he was alive, and I was glad to see, like, Quark, you know, be excited to see him, and yeah. Great answer. I, that's the best episode. I'm so glad we ended with that one. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, Ashlyn, should we talk about next week? Yeah, let's talk about next week. So next um, week. we are very excited. We're going to have back-to-back guests. We were so lucky to have John on for this episode. And we are very excited next week to have Twin Cities Trekkies pod on with us as we discuss Voyager's fake-out deaths. Yeah, he's going to be... Uh, yeah, so we're very excited. We're so thankful for people who are interested in our series. In both of these cases, they reached out to us saying that they were so excited about the series. They wanted to have a crack at a discussion. So awesome. Thank you so much for your interest. Also, just continue to shout out our amazing patrons. We got another one this past week. Gildra, thank you so much for becoming a patron. We really appreciate you. And I also just want to send a special shout out to all of the people in America who are suffering with the decision that came down from the Supreme Court. Last week, we released the episode after that decision, but we had recorded like a week in advance, so we didn't Mm -hmm. really address it. But it's been a very tough week to be a person with a uterus in America. Mm -hmm. So I hope everybody's taking care of themselves and is able to find some kind of hope and a way forward. And for me, I guess it's just fake out deaths is the way ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and watching Star Trek... As we continue to get new episodes, I hear Prodigy's coming out July 8th. Very excited. So, That's like next week. Yeah. That's next yeah. week. I know, bro. Oh my god, it's gonna be crazy. Bookend well, of Star Trek is great. Yeah. Oh, woof. Well, <laughs> Brianna, thank you so much. This has been such a fun discussion, and I'm very, very pumped to talk about Voyager next week. Yes, me too. Thank you for listening to the Dura Sisters podcast. Please tune in next week for the fourth episode of our Death Fake Out series, where Ashlyn and Rihanna will discuss all of the people that almost died in Star Trek Voyager. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check to see our suggested watch list for our upcoming episodes. Also take a moment to check out our content on Tumblr and TikTok, and especially our amazing merch on Threadless, designed by Rihanna Hurd. All links can be found in the bio of any of our social media pages. If you like what you've heard today, please leave us a review on whatever platform you listen. By donating any amount per month, you can become a monthly patron and unlock our exclusive reviews of Lower Decks, the animated series, Galaxy Quest, and Star Trek Trivia. You can find all of this and more at patreon.com slash the Dura Sisters podcast. If you would like to contact us for any reason, please do so at the Dura Sisters podcast at gmail.com. So far, we have covered these podcast series, pilot episodes, family, love and affection, time travel, villains, movies, and feminism. If you haven't heard a particular series, please go back and listen to any of these spectacular episodes. Social media and marketing by me, Ashlyn Gelman, and Rihanna Hurd. Editing is done by Rihanna Hurd and Ashlyn Gelman. Our intro and outro is by Jerry Goldsmith. It's not even like we see him that much, but in Broken Chain in the episode, Garrick is like freaking out because he's talking. Broken Chain or Broken Link? Broken Link. (laughs) (laughs) I "I don't think it's called that. (laughs) 
Oh my god, yeah. In the episode Broken Chain, um, oh, I said it again. It's broken link. It's because I wrote it's like Broken Zorro. Chain. Yeah. <laughs> Don't even say it. Don't even say it. I'm gonna say Zorro again. Oh my god. <laughs>